Living Adventurously is brought to you in partnership with Kamut, the route planning and navigation app that helps you make the most of your outdoor adventures. Whether you're cycling, hiking, running or bikepacking, Kamut's easy-to-use technology will get you out the door and exploring more of the great outdoors. You can see where I've been exploring by checking out the highlights of my journey on Kamut. Just follow the link in the show notes. My name is Alistair Humphreys. I set out on a bicycle journey around Yorkshire to speak to interesting, ordinary people who, in very different ways, are making an effort to live adventurously. I wanted to talk about what they do, about the barriers they've faced along the way, and to seek their perspective on some of the big questions that all of us encounter in our lives. Welcome to Living Adventurously. <laughs> I've written here, needs intro music. Um, okay, here we go. Um... <laughs> Have a loop. Steve Bate is an extremely handsome man. And I say that because he looks pretty much the same as me. And that's more or less where the comparison between us ends. For Steve is also a Paralympic gold medal winner. Steve has a degenerative eye condition. He's now lost most of his vision and he will eventually go completely blind. When Steve first got this diagnosis, he responded in a perfectly normal way by going off to climb solo the 3,000-foot rock face of El Capitan in Yosemite. Steve has also won a 150-kilometer winter ultramarathon by Fat Bike because he loves bikepacking and cycling adventures as much as anything else. So perhaps there is some overlap in our lives beyond our dazzling good looks. <laughs> and one of those overlaps is our enjoyment of the book Kiss or Kill, a harsh, brutal climbing book by Mark Twight, which we began our conversation by discussing. Speaking of that, I'm interested in the idea of um, trying to be an elite athlete to the ancient age of 42. Because mm. uh, I, I feel like I could be as fit as I ever was. I really feel that that's not a problem. I just can't be bothered nearly as much as 15 years ago. I'm not nearly so angry. I don't think Kiss or Kill, the book, would resonate with me as the way it did back then. Do you find that a problem? Yeah, well, I, I actually read Kiss or Kill only a year ago, I would think. Um, actually, less than a year ago, because it was while I was training over this winter for the track world, so training for the velodrome, and it was my coach, who's not a climber, who had come across it and read it. Because um, I think Mark Twight's gone on to write a load of... Um, kind of S&C stuff that's kind of what he does now training because yeah, I think Jim he trained Jones. the cast for 300 yeah, didn't he? Yeah he did he's got a gym called Jim Jones mm. yeah so uh, that's how my coach came across me sort of said have you come across this guy and I I bought his book Extreme Alpinism back in the day on a fairy tale dream that I was going to be this amazing alpinist but actually that scared the shit out of me so I never I stuck to rock climbing and not to alpinism you know alpinism so um, so yeah I, I obviously knew his history knew who he was um but yeah, when I read, it certainly got fired up when I read that. You know, you, you do, I don't think you can read that book and not start to stir some of the anger that's inside you over, like, that I didn't even realise was there. But, you know, certainly some of those hellish track sessions that I was going in for that I knew were going to hurt and be horrible and nasty, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd read a chapter of the book or, you know, one of, the, one of the short stories on the train going in and, you know, him listening to lyrics of Skinny Puppy burying himself on some mountainside was just like, yeah, I want a bit of that. Um, and the uh, the essay about the guy looking in the mirror is you look in the mirror in the morning and you basically despise yourself. Yeah, for yeah. Just having yeah. A, a boring life. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, yeah. What's your problem? I think I know. And then he goes off <laughs> this massive run. Yeah. Like when I was late, uh, well, from 20 till, I don't know, 35, I was like, yeah, I'm going to kill the world now, but... I can't be bothered anymore. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which actually, I, in my situation, I see as a good thing, but mm. perhaps not if you're trying to win a medal. Yeah, I, I think for me, the whole, the, the, the it's really funny because 
winning medals is, I guess, what I'm paid to do. But for me, I see it more as that's the, that's the product of what I do. Um, so I actually hate racing. Like I don't, I don't enjoy racing. I like being tested. Um, you know, I think if I could train for the rest of my life and not have to race, then I'd, I'd, I'd kind of quite happily do that. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, it's always the, the measuring yourself and getting the most out of myself. Like I said to you earlier, how as a kid, I always wanted to know if I had all the support around me, could I be the best in the world at something? And, and I always think, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, so, you know, we get given our bodies for free and it's our most valuable asset yet. So many of us neglect what we can do with it. And, you know, our body's a pretty amazing thing. So for me, trying to understand what my body can do or push it to the very limits of what it can do fascinates me. Um, so I think that's still my, that's still the driver to be better at what I do. It's not, it's not about having a medal around your neck. Um, you know, that's, that's the product of what happens and don't get me wrong. It's great when that does happen, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the purpose in a way, but, um, for the paycheck, but yeah, it's, it's more, much more about kind of breaking barriers down within yourself and what you, what you think you can achieve and actually what you can achieve. Um, cause a Paralympic gold medal or a world record, I didn't think were, you know, like, you know, like I said, at 35, that was just, you know, I'm, I'm, you're joking with yourself. You got two and a half years to get to a games, you know, and you've got all the support, but you've only got two and a half years to become a, an, a, you know, a, an elite athlete. It's like, well, like, you know, that's surely that's not possible. Um, but turns out if you commit everything, and I mean everything to it, yeah, it is, you know, and that made me realize that anything, anything's really possible, I think. That's very wise. Um, I realized we started talking without me even saying who I was talking to. He's a, <laughs> a true professional podcaster. Uh, so I'm uh, sitting in the kitchen with Steve Bate, MBE, two-time gold medal winner. How do you like being introduced as that? <laughs> Um, on a podcast, it's probably okay. Would you rather be introduced as Steve? Yeah, I'm. I'm I, or how I, about as Steve uh, Steve Batembi, the famous <laughs> Ugandan track cyclist? Yes. Yeah, there's a story in itself, there isn't there? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that one. Um, yeah, it's a funny old. So what what is the um, what is the difference between being Steve Bate MBE gold medal winner? two-time gold medal winner versus being Steve because they're, they're two different beasts aren't they um or are they not no well I don't I don't think they are I think it's people's perception I think that's the I'm you know like I always say I'm just a normal dude I'm just an average guy um I'm not super talented I've never been gifted in anything um you know I know I might be rude in saying this but probably similar to the, you know, how you portray yourself, you've, you know, you've achieved lots of different things, you know, and lots of different disciplines, which is, you know, really impressive. And, um, you know, I've kind of seen some of the talks you've done online and stuff where you kind of come across it, you know, you put yourself across it, like you're just the sort of bumbling idiot that kind of falls into these things and then seems to, you know, make it work. But, um, yeah, I work very hard for the things I've succeeded at. I've had to work my ass off, you know, it's like, it's never been like, I don't wake up in the morning and think, oh yeah, I've got this to do. Oh, this will be easy. You know, it's, um, it, yeah, it just goes back to trying to be the best you can be and learn about yourself. And, and I like being in positions where I'm uncomfortable, I guess. And I like putting my body and my mind in positions where you're uncomfortable. Cause I think it's, it's good to learn the skill to be comfortable at being uncomfortable. And I think I learned that in climbing, you know, because when you climb quite often, it's not really, you get yourself in situations which you don't really enjoy. But I think it's good to be put in those positions because that, for me, that's when I learned the most about myself and who, who Steve Bate really is. Um, you know, I think, I, I think after I came back from Rio and we got to attend a lot of fancy functions and things like that. And of course, everyone you meet at those things, you know, the, the people who are supporting and all those sort of things, you know, you're seen as a big star or someone very special. Um, and they 
excuse my French, blow a lot of hot, hot air up your ass and tell you how great you are. And I can see how footballers and big sports stars, film stars fall into this trap of Start to believe thinking it. they're better than everyone else. And I was always very aware to keep my feet firmly on the ground because I'm just Steve who's a bit of a dick. <laughs> you know, so so I always wanted to, you know, remain remain kind of true to that and not get carried away with myself. You know, like I've achieved some great things. Yes, I have. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that. But I don't think it's changed me just trying to be the everyday normal guy that, you know, we all are. You know, there's there's no need for me to have special titles or be seen in a different light to anyone else just because of what I've done. I'm just a person. What, what's the uh, swankiest party or thing or blag that you've had post um, post Rio? Well, there's a, there's a couple to be honest. So obviously the palace, meeting the queen, and uh, and Philip was was up there. You know, to be honest, I wasn't going to go because I wasn't. Um, I've never been a massive royalist, uh, and. You know, we'd gone to so many things after the games. I was get, I was getting pretty burnt out on parties and drinking champagne, to be honest, uh, which is not really my scene at all. Um, but yes, yeah, so I went to the palace and, and got to meet the Queen Philip. And this is the, this is quite a cool story actually. So when I when I met the Queen, standing standing in this room in the palace, and you know, there's obviously the entourage that comes in before, which kind of tells you how you have to behave with the Queen, what you do, what you say, bow, curtsy, all that sort of thing. And, uh, and anyway, I remember like turning around, I was the first one in this group of people. And I remember turning around and seeing the queen walk into the room and it was just like, holy shit, that's the queen, you know? And the queen is tiny. Like she is so, so I'm six foot two and she is like, I don't know if she's five foot, she's tiny. And, uh, and it's just like this gracious woman. It's like, she just levitates, like she's Yoda or someone just nee, 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 into the room. And, you know, it's just like, wow. And anyway, she walked up. We're all suited and booted, obviously, and we, you had to wear your medals. So I had three medals hanging around my neck, um, which I'm going to... Have you ever held a medal? No, I haven't. Okay, I'm gonna, we'll do this on the, on, on, uh, on the podcast so I'm everyone not, can... Do I, do I not have to win one before I can hold one? No, don't be stupid. No, 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 that's, uh, that's daft. Anyway, um, so the Queen walked over, so I bent over to bow. The first thing the Queen said to me was, I'm surprised your head is still on your shoulders with all that weight around your neck. And I thought, you're class, lady. Yeah, nice. You are absolute class. And kind of shook my hand, had a bit of a chat. But yeah, just like every, I've, I've been very fortunate to meet the Royals a few times since then. And I'm blown away by the way they carry themselves in person, you know, without the media stuff that surrounds them um, and what gets written about them. Actually, they're amazing people. And all of them are very funny. Like they're very humorous, which I think is great. You know, they, I don't think they take themselves too seriously, but. Which yeah. is a good skill to have yeah. full stop in life, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. So that, that was definitely one, one highlight. But the other highlight was sitting in the Royal Box at Wimbledon on Sports Saturday. And that was, uh, sometimes when you go in the palace, some of the staff and things around the palace kind of make you feel a bit awkward because you're really like, I'm really not meant to be in that place you know the way i am the things i say i'm not the most appropriate person um but going to wimbledon was you know i i got an invite with caroline um with a few of the other guys and i mean that was an amazing day you know to sit in the royal box at wimbledon they they took care of us so well they were so grateful you had turned up to watch tennis that was the thing i couldn't get you're invited to the royal box and they're grateful you've turned up you know so um yeah, that that was an, that was probably one of the greatest sporting things I've ever seen. I think you know it wasn't a final or anything; it was just in the middle of Wimbledon. We you know we got to watch Federer play and um, and Djokovic play, which was was which was pretty amazing. But yeah, that's that's an amazing place. So yeah, those are two pretty good blags. Yeah, they are good blags. I'm jealous of those. Um, what is the difference between uh, cycling as a sport and cycling as adventure or travel? You, you you're telling me about cycling in Patagonia. What's what's the uh, the difference in the experience of those, or are they just totally different worlds? Yeah, to, I, 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 like the, the only thing I think that's similar is you're sat on a saddle and turning your legs. I think um, what I do for a job is science. You know, it's so scientifically driven now. 
um, which is a good thing, you know, to, to, to be the best and to make the gains that you, you know, that you make, you have to be, you know, you, ha- you have to be, you know, like they were saying, no, no stone unturned and all that sort of thing going into, you know, going into racing. So yeah, that's what I think, well, you know, which is interesting. It's fascinating. Um, again, it comes back to, you know, what, what your body can and what your body can't do. Um, we're journeying by bike is probably, I would think now the biggest passion I have. Um, I have got a visual impairment, so I'm going to lose my sight. So to me, that's the richest experience I can have to travel through uh, countries or cultures. Um, I'm very invested in cycling around the world. I wish I would have done that when I was a lot younger. That um, that is that deserves going to Wimbledon. I mean, yeah. how long is your bike race? Not very long. I deserve to go to Wimbledon. I think. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too right, you should. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you're far more famous than I am, eh? Of course, you should. Um, uh, so yeah, so I think the like, I think I'll always ride a bike because I'm I'm very passionate about you know just being outside and and you know enjoying the simple things that life has to offer and you know getting your heart rate up and being out of breath is you know riding up a hill to see a views so simple but yet so fulfilling um and that doesn't you know it's almost i I always say to people that you know they always think oh as an athlete you must be so fit and it must be great and i think if you if if i'm at that end of the spectrum if we look at the other end of the spectrum which is someone who never gets off the couch and eats crisps and drinks beer like i would say to people you don't want to be at either end of that spectrum if you can float somewhere in the middle and drift back and forwards between having a good time and pushing yourself but also taking it easy and giving yourself, you know, a, a break when you need it, then that's that's the place you want to be. What I do isn't, in terms of my work, I wouldn't really recommend that because I'm probably doing some things to my body that I will regret in years to come. You know, I probably will have injuries, even though cycling's a relatively low impact injury sport. But, you know, in the positions we hold and with my back and things like that, it's um, the weights we lift and all that sort of thing that, you know, it's uh, it's not all it's cut out to be. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine that. Um, one of the reasons I'm cycling around Yorkshire is I'm really interested in the, the idea of home. So I'm wondering, what does home mean to you? Where is home for you? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a really really good question. Um, I've got a few of them, I think. Uh, so I, I, was, I was born and raised in New Zealand. Um, I left New Zealand at the age of 22. And even in New Zealand, I was born in Auckland, but I lived in Wellington for a bit. And then also north of Auckland, a little place called Dargaville, um, before I left New Zealand, um, which is a very small farming community. Uh, when I moved here, I lived in London for four years, so which was pretty mind-blowing to someone coming from Dargaville. <laughs> um, and then through climbing, moved to Scotland. So I spent 12 years in Scotland and on the Murray Coast. And, you know, that really grabbed me I think you know I think a part of me maybe with the color of my hair and stuff I'll always be kind of you know Scottish I'll, I'll, always, I'll always have a fond memory of living in Scotland and and part of me that will always be like a home away from original home I think um and now I'm down in Yorkshire and we've been here for three and a half years now I think four years maybe and you know it's it's as good a home as any you know for sure it's a it's a lovely spot of the world and um yeah, it's an amazing place to be. I kind of, I kind of feel fortunate that I've been able to live in such beautiful places. You know, it's just kind of not planned. It's just kind of that's how it's unfolded, really. Do you have quite a fluid feeling of home? It's just you're quite comfortable where you are, basically. Yeah, I think so. Um, I remember when I was in London and I was doing an awful lot of travelling. I was, I was on the road a lot and and uh, and and just journeying through places like going to Asia or Europe and traveling around with friends or doing different things. And I think I always craved coming home after a while, you know, when you spend six months on the road or something and, uh, you know, you just think, Oh God, I just, I want my own shower. I want my own bed. You know, there was always, always that feeling. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think, you know, home for me now is def- definitely Yorkshire. As I said earlier, I think in May next year, I would have spent, would have lived in the UK more than I've lived in New Zealand, which is a really, it's a fascinating thing to get your mind around. 
Um, I get a lot of stick from my friends and family in New Zealand that I race for Great Britain and not for New Zealand. Uh, so uh, I think I'll, I'll feel a bit more cooler with that once I've lived in the UK longer than I've lived in New Zealand. Obviously, I still sound like I'm from New Zealand, but um, it might be a bit easier for people to, uh, you know, if I say, well, I've actually lived here longer. Yes. <laughs> That's why I race with the UK because I lived here longer. Starting to belong. Mm. Um, something I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about is the idea of making big changes in your life so from one direction in life to another and how hard it is to make that change and there are practical things like time and money but a lot of it is just inside our head that sort of stops us making these big changes so I'm I'm interested in your situation in that you were a happy climbing bum and you start stumbling over rocks in the footpath and gradually you notice there's something wrong with your eyes and that has led to some big changes so how how was that initial thing of thinking this life here is now going to change um for me it was not not easy at all um so i was training to become a mountain guide when i got this eyesight diagnosis which i lost my driver license straight away and then was told I could, worst case scenario, I could go blind in four years. So obviously I, I think it probably would have taken me at least another four years to qualify as a mountain guide if if I was even good enough. Um, you know, that, that wasn't a foregone conclusion by any means. Um, and that was everything I had my hopes and dreams pinned on, you know, and I kind of fell apart. Of, you know, I, I really struggled for six months in terms of finding an identity to, you know, this is everything, everything I'd wanted to do. Um, I thought it was the dream job and that nothing could be better. Um, and I actually went to speak to a friend cause I just couldn't, although I had amazing support, um, I couldn't get around the fact that my life was over as I knew it. So I went and spoke to a friend, Karen Dark, who's in a wheelchair. I know Karen. Yeah. So, uh, I've known Karen for a number of years. Be- and before. Yeah. Just yeah. from being around Northern yeah, Scotland. That, yeah. Um, so Karen lived in Inverness um, I'd actually built a, I was a carpenter in a previous life. So I'd actually built a shed for Karen to put all the kayaks and all this madness that she gets up to. And so Karen's in a wheelchair. That's it. Yeah. So Karen had a climbing accident at 19. I think she was 19 or 21, something like that on the Aberdeen sea cliffs. And she ended up in a wheelchair. So I figured she'd be a good person to go and talk to. She's been through that kind of, you know, like her, you know, I, she probably would have become a guide, I would think. So, uh, so yeah, I, I kind of sat down with Karen and said, oh, listen, you know, I've just got this eye diagnosis, I'm going to go blind. And the first thing Karen said to me was, oh, great, you can race on the back of a tandem for GB and come and train <laughs> with me in Mallorca. Um, and, you know, I was just like, no, Karen, don't understand my life's over. You know, it's like, and, and you know, and rightly so, she was just like, get a grip yourself, dickhead. You know, it's like, you know, there's, see the opportunity. And I think that's, that's the thing that when something dramatically changes out of your control, you naturally, I think, as, as people, I may be wrong in this, but you start to look at all the things you can't do. Um, and you fall into this trap of this negative downward spiral of like, oh, but I can't do that, but I can't do that. And actually... The reality was all that had happened was I'd lost my driver's license. That was it. You know, my eyesight hadn't all of a sudden changed overnight. It was exactly the same as what it had been as I knew it. So all that had changed was I'd lost my driver's license. So once I started to get my head around, actually, nothing's changed. I just can't drive anywhere. Um, You know, I then planned a trip to go to Yosemite and, and soloed Yosemite and uh, El Capitan, sorry, New Samity. And, you know, and that, and that really gave me the belief of, you know, like, Hey, you can do anything you want. And then I kind of, that, I guess that sparked from Karen about racing on the back of a bike. I kind of pursued that because it was just this opportunity to get to a Paralympic games was like, you know, that surely that's impossible. And I thought after, you know, I thought for me trying to solo El Cap was impossible. And, you know, when, when, when you achieve that, and I sat on the top of that in tears, just like, I can't believe I've just done this. You know, it's six days of on your own making decisions for yourself. You haven't killed yourself. Great. Nice one, Steve. You know, you sat on top. It's like, wow. And that that just, for me, that really blew my mind. It's just like, well, actually, I can. It's probably the first time in my life I actually thought anything's possible. You know, and everyone tells you that. But I think until you have one of those moments for yourself, 
where you actually think, yeah, generally, if you put your mind to something and you invest 100% in it, then it's probably achievable. Um, so, so yeah, so that was the, I came back from climbing and thought, well, in a way I thought soloing LCAP, there's not really too many more things I can do in climbing that is, you know, what's going to be better than that. Um, so maybe give this bike in Malaki a go. Yeah, and the bike in Malaki's going pretty well. <laughs> yeah, it, it has its moments. Tokyo calling, hopefully. With a bit of luck. Yeah. Um, your eyesight's getting worse and you think you're probably going to end up going completely blind at some unknown point. Yep. How has that changed your approach to now? Uh, or perhaps it hasn't. No, it has massively. Um, I think when I got diagnosed uh, and I got told, right, you know, you're going to go blind in, in four years, I think, you know, I had that discussion with Caroline, my wife, who was uh, my fiance at the time, which was also kind of unnerving because all of a sudden you're going back to your fiance saying, I can't drive now. And what I was going to do, that was a really cool job. I'm not going to do now. So, you know, you, you have all sorts of emotions inside you about, well, is she still going to want to marry me and all these sorts of things, you know? Um, but yeah, I think, it, you know, we had a chat about that and, you know, Car Caroline was amazing and just, you know, she's like, right, if we bin off everything now, um, we can basically go and travel the world for four years, you know? And, and my theory was I wanted to push myself and go and see everything I could and do everything that I possibly could while I had my sight so that when I, when I do go blind, I won't be bitter in the fact that I've, I've wasted the time. You know, I've just wasted away the time just thinking, oh, it won't happen to me. It won't happen to me. You know, if, 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 if I do go, or when I do go blind, I can look back and just think, God, I packed some amazing stuff in there. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. And then how I, you know, it's still scary to talk about the thought of going completely blind, but I think how I get my head around that is like, that's when this whole other adventure starts, you know, and that's like, wow, you know I mean? Imagine living life blind. Music and... Yeah, you know, so it's just, it's, it's kind of, although it's massively overwhelming in one respect, it's kind of partly exciting in another. That is an insanely uh, positive way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think what's interesting is that the comparison that has with just the way everyone's living their life. I often think, you know, when someone gets, say, oh, you've got this fatal disease, we're really sorry, you're going to die in some number of years, and that changed people's life. But I have a fatal disease in whatever, 50 years' time, I'm going to be dead yeah. of the yeah, disease yeah. of life. Yeah. And, and yet, um, a lot of the time, I'm just trundling aimlessly around in life. And it's, it takes, I think it's important to have a reminder, isn't it? Of, wow, what am I doing? I need to get yeah, on with yeah. stuff. It, it, it is amazing that, um, you know, being on the, being on the uh, Paralympic cycling team, you meet some incredible people. You know, you really do. And, and that could be people that have been born with a disability or they've been involved in a bad accident. Uh, we get a lot of armed forces guys who have been injured. Um, and everyone's got this, kind of really amazing positive thing where like most of the time people are saying I'm really pleased that happened to me um which is really interesting uh for me I think it was really the missing piece of the puzzle that I needed to really kick me onto that next gear like I was adventurous and I had big plans and I liked doing things but if I'm honest I probably wasn't 100% committed to actually doing them I you know I as a climber I think everyone, you know, everyone wants to go and climb El Capitan because it's the holy grail of climbing. But I'm not sure I would have had the get up and go to actually go and commit to doing it. And, you know, it's that when you test yourself on something like that, you know, there's that big thing of failure and that, and, you know, no one likes to deal with failure. Um, where I thought actually, like, for me now, failure is not doing those things, not committing to those things and doing them. You know, if you go there and try and you don't succeed, hey, at least you know. You know, for me now it's, and Tokyo's a big part of this. Um, going back for a second games, the first games was really successful. In a way I can look at it and think, I've got far more to lose than I have to gain. Because um, if I stepped away now, we'd have a load of records in the books, uh, a rake of medals, and, you, you know, you're seen as a hero. Where if I go back and I don't do that again, you, you know, it's kind of like, well, is that failure? Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really, 
interesting one, but I want to be tested and, you know, I need to know what I'm going to be like in that situation. If I get to Tokyo and I have to defend these titles, that's a whole different ball game of, you know, rocking up when no one has a clue who you are and then all of a sudden you win. And it's like, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. And you're blind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I met a guy um, earlier today um, who you know, and he... Um, I said to him, I'm going off to see Steve now. What questions shall I ask him? <laughs> oh, God. This is quite a hard question, actually. He said um, his, baby, his baby daughter died. Um, and he, I'm going to start crying talk about this other guy's plumbing daughter dying. His baby daughter died. And he's managed to see that now as the best thing that's ever happened in his life. Because he's been God. so low, he can now face life with woomph. From here, it is onwards and upwards forever. Wow. So his question to you is, is going blind the best thing that's ever happened to you? Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think so. I think I kind of, that's, um, that's some dude to, you know, like, but I, I can exactly, you know, I can exactly see where he's coming from. Like you can't get much lower than that, I'm sure. You know, like I'm not a parent, but Christ, how you deal with that and, crack on with a smile like he does is amazing um but yeah I, I i think for me it's 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 one of the best things that's ever happened to me i think for sure um partly because i just thought i was a bumbling idiot who tripped over everything and there was no reason for it besides i was, I was useless <laughs> so when you're told actually though you've got this problem with your eyes you're like oh that's all right i'm not a bumbling idiot who's useless that's fine there's actually something wrong with me but um yeah i think it's it's funny how it takes something so, you know, in, in my respect, not so horrific, but uh, to really latch on to living, you know, and, and, and living a full life. You know, it's, um, it really interests me why it takes something for us as people to go drastically wrong before we actually see the world for what it is and have to be, whoo, this is like a massive playground. Let's go and have some fun and, you know, let's make the most of it. And yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? It's, it's a shame it takes something like that to... Humans are stupid. Yeah, we certainly are. So I'm, um, I'm, one of the things I'm doing is cycling around trying to figure out the meaning of life by asking all sorts of wise people, wise and clever people, and you, um, <laughs> yeah. some questions. So if you just um, don't mind answering a few of these for me. So take, take, yeah, take one off the top. Um, feel free to ignore it. Oh, okay. What would the 80-year-old version of yourself advise you to do? Does that advise me to do now? Yeah. So what would the 80-year-old Steve say to you now? He'd say, Steve? <laughs> Be kinder to your body. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, I would think it'd be enjoy it, mate, because it's not going to last forever. Make the most of it, I would think. it's pretty good advice. That's what I'd hope I'd say to myself anyway. Okay. Cool. Okay. Next one. So what advice can you give me so that I won't look back on my life with, I will look back on my life with satisfaction rather than regret. So it's you giving me some, some of your wisdom. Ooh. You know what? That's, this is funny actually. Because when I discovered micro adventures uh, in what I do for work kind of changed my life in a way. You know, all of a sudden it was like I wanted to go on these big trips but because of training and other commitments that I've got, I just couldn't do that. If I wanted to be the – I could do it, but if I wanted to be the best bike rider I could be, I had to make that choice, not that sacrifice, that choice. Um, so when I discovered you, Mr. Alistair Humphreys, the person, the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> you sat in my kitchen, um, it was kind of like this revelation, you know. And uh, so to – it seems funny me sitting here, you asking for my advice when I think probably you've given me far more advice in a way that I could, you know, that's been relative. I could, I just trying to think of something that, uh, I, I would think, uh, the advice I could give to you would be carry on doing what you're doing. I would think because a bit like I was told once about, winning a gold medal you'll never know the amount of people you've inspired 
um, you know, I, I think I think you've inspired far more people than you'll ever believe. Oh, that's and, very kind of you. And in the in in a large like in a much bigger scheme, you know, on the scale of of, of kind of people, I I think you you know from you know elite athletes to you know right from the other end of the people who have never slept on a top of a hill before. So um, I would think keep keep doing what you're doing because you do it very well. Thank you very much. How's That's that? very kind. I'll definitely keep that bit in the recording. <laughs> what purchase of 100 quid or less has mostly positive impacted your life recently? What does that say at the bottom? Um, yeah, what, what purchase for £100 less has most positively impacted your life? So what £100 thing or less or ish has been a good thing I, to buy? I pinched that question from Tim Ferriss. Oh, okay. Um, I would say a slack line at the moment. Um, that is kind of, that's my little micro adventure at the moment. I'm, I'm so like kind of narrow and single-minded in what I do. I can't start climbing again because I'll start, when it's sunny, I'll stop riding my bike. Um, and it's kind of, for me, it's kind of all in. So that's why I stopped climbing just like, I'm not climbing anymore. I have to ride a bike. That's what I have to do. Whereas slackline is one of those little sneaky things you can, you know, I can nip up into the woods for an hour, chuck the line up, take the dog and just kind of wobble along a line for a bit. Get out of that headspace of being that elite guy and that athlete who's got to do everything by the book and just, you know, kind of what climbing used to give me, I think just be empty in your thoughts and just, focused on trying to stand on a wobbly line that's a very good answer i've got a slack line as well and i love it have you got the one from outkit uh, the same one no I, I i haven't actually oh, um i was going to measure to see who could go the furthest yeah yeah can you go the whole length of yours uh well i've, I've actually now i've got a few of them oh. uh I've, I've just bought a hundred meter one okay you're much better than me no no i can't i can't walk on it it's okay. this is this is dreaming big um i'd like to go back to yosemite there's a bike a rock that sticks off the cliff called Lost Arrow Spire, which is effectively the birthplace of uh, highlining and slacklining. Um, so I not only want to, this is again discovering what I can do, um, but I want to, once I stop cycling, I want to become a highliner. So someone who can walk basically a slackline really high off the ground. Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So people do all sorts of amazing, you know, like there's, I think there's the records just been broken in Canada for like, walking a three kilometer high line, um, like stretched across these massive mountains over a lake. So wow. yeah. Okay. But, but for me, you know, and people do tricks on me, all sorts of amazing things. Um, but for me, I want to go and see if I can, if I can high line basically. Um, but I, I can walk about a 20 meter line at the moment, but it's not nailed on every time. Um, you know, like I, have, I haven't, cause I'm racing and I'll leave for Canada tomorrow. Um, I haven't been on it for probably three weeks. Um, so when I get back on, I'll fall off at loads and get really frustrated again, but that's kind of part of what I love about it. You know, it's kind of, unless you're doing it all the time, like most things in life, you're, um, you know, you get, you get sloppy and useless at it, but it's kind of nice being at back at square one again. You know, it's kind of cool to have being something. Being a beginner. That, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Cool. That's a good one. All right. We'll do a couple more if you don't mind. What are you proud of? Oh, that's easy. My ginger hair. That's what Next I'm proud question. of. Uh, what small things do you regularly, or do you do regularly, which greatly improves your life? Uh, for me, I would think small things I do regularly. Walking my dog, actually. That's something that is uh, just going out for a walk. It's something I never did as a activity. Um, but yeah, walking my dog every day. It's kind of cool. It's all right, yeah. It's good, just good headspace, you know. It's like, for me, it's escapism. You know, if uh, it, that's something even, you know, that's like the microest of micro adventures, you know. It's like, I, you know, it's like sleeping up on the top of a hill. I've got this dilemma. If I don't sleep well, then that has a knock-on effect with my training. So, you know, but it's like, right, what little things, you know, what small things are like go and walk down some unknown path with my dog. So, uh Next question is, what is the right balance between being selfish versus selfless? This is a good question to ask of a professional athlete, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, crikey. How do you answer that? Um, I would think, I think if I was single, this would be a very easy question to answer um, in the respect you do what you want. You know, if it's you're polishing your own ego to race and win medals or whatever that would be, that's easy. As soon as you have a second party, i.e. a wife in the picture and a rescue dog, um, I, th- I think those are ongoing conversations, <laughs> I think. Euphemism. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, you know, like I've, like yourself in your past, you know, I want to go and do big trips and I want to go and have big adventures, but I'm also very acutely aware even though I, I mean, I spend a lot of time away racing and that's work. That's not fun. So when I come home and say, I want to go to Scotland on a bikepacking trip for five days with one of my mates and Caroline says, Oh, you've, you've already been away for three weeks. You know, it's like, yeah, but that's work. <laughs> you know, I, I want, I want to have fun too. Um, but does that, does that wash? Does she believe that? Yeah. Like, no, she's Caroline's amazing in that respect. Like it, I, I think it took maybe a year or two, um, like a funny one the other day was she was uh, went to the lakes while swimming with a group of friends for over three days, uh, three weeks ago or something like that, and and came back and said, "Oh, how was your weekend?" And I said, "Oh, well, I did uh, four hours on my bike on Saturday, and then had a double day on Sunday. Did two hours on the road, and then two hours on my turbo." And she just looked at me and smiled. She didn't really have your weekends anymore, do you? <laughs> and I was yes. like, I don't think I've had any weekends for like the last five years. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, it's it's a hard I think as you get older you get better at managing you know um that level between you know giving enough of yourself to the people that you love as opposed to stealing enough of yourself to be true to yourself um so it's uh yeah I, I like I say I think it's one of those ongoing things where I think that Caroline knows me for who I am and she can probably see if I'm climbing up the walls and need to need to get out then it's like just go mate <laughs> you're making my life miserable <laughs> so yeah so I, think, I don't know is that does that make sense yeah, I think that's the yeah, best yeah. best kind of way I can answer that I think yeah that's a very thoughtful answer I, I, don't, I don't think it's fixed by any point it's kind of like this moving scale of where you're at at the time yeah, yeah um, that makes sense so, let's try another What are you scared of? Probably. It's going to sound weird. This. The thing I'm most scared of is not fulfilling my potential. I think. I think, again, if you go back to that question of what would your 80 year old tell you, I think it'd be a frightening thing to get to the point where you know you're at the end of your life. And you think, you know, you, sh- you should have done more. You-, you should have put down. I mean, I was massively inspired by your walk across Spain with your violin. Like, to me, that is, you know, what you scared of that is absolutely terrifying doing that for <laughs> yeah. sure. But I can, I completely get why you did it. You know, I can completely like, wow, that must be just, you know, an amazing thing to, you know, that first time you rocked up into a town square and, you know i mean i just yeah absolutely amazing but it's I, I think it's to not have those experiences and not and not yeah not fulfill what you're capable of fulfilling be a sad day that wouldn't it i think be a very sad day um steve thank you so much for can i get a medal can you get me yeah go get your medals right okay i just, I, I just want to i just want to give you one but give me one well you can have one if you want <laughs> um, uh, okay. yeah we'll, we'll do it on on the radio because there's there's always a common okay. thing that Shall i come with said. you then uh uh no we'll i'll go and get it. i'll bring okay. it down here yeah, wait here i'm gonna wait here and eat all your mango yeah steve has adopted a uh, rescue dog that was properly poor little thing abuses a puppy and it's absolutely bonkers he's taken on way more than having the kids and uh, he is a very, very lovely, understated, good man. And he has good mango. Here he is. 
Steve Batembi. <laughs> oh, it's a nice box. I'm back. Oh, here we go. Right, so... Do they I w- give you the box? <laughs> yeah, they give you the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best part of it, to be honest. Um, so descri- describe, you describe what you're seeing here. Okay, so it's, a, it's not egg-shaped, but it's slightly egg-shaped, smooth wooden box. Rio 2016, Jogros Paralympicos. It's nice. I really like the box. Oh, it's heavy as well. It weighs about a kilogram, I'd say. Okay, so right. th- 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 this will be cool. Okay. Like there's not a snake in here or something, is there? <laughs> I wish there was. No, you could. said that. You open the box um, this way, just in case. No, oh, you, no. you're going to... Uh, so, wait, wait, wait. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, it's what's happening? It rotates to open the thing. Wow, oh, there Damn. it is. Well, it's big, isn't it? Rio 2016. It's massive. <laughs> it's like a giant chocolate mint. Oh, it's really heavy. Is that the reaction people have? Yeah, yeah. That is heavy. It's... So if I How have, heavy is it? Uh, 500 grams? Yeah. Yeah, bang on, yeah. 500 grams. 500 grams of gold? No, it's not gold. That's If, if, if that was 500 grams of gold, mate, I would be out of here. I'd be mortgage-free. I would you? <laughs> uh, Rio, this is Rio 2016. It's a bit scratched. It's battered. Battered. Yeah, yeah. Then on the back, it has it in Braille. Can you read Braille? No. Are you learning Braille? No. Would that not be a good idea? It probably would be. <laughs> okay. But yeah. Wow. Uh, that, I can tell you what that, that says Rio uh, 2016 though and if you look at the bottom very bottom gonna, edge of it going full on now put, put it on, it on. Where's, where's your camera you should take a picture of you with that on I'm now wearing the Olympic gold medal going to get oh it's great massive what a feeling how what what was your what's the thing running through your head when this gets plonked on disbelief really yeah yeah it's not a very good picture because lights behind you but that's right um yeah just uh you know we were sat in a holding camp in wales two weeks before the games watching the olympics and watching our friends uh racing in the velodrome uh you know jason kenny callum skinner these guys phil hines laura, laura kenny um and you and you see the iconic them with the medal holding a flag behind them stood up smiling to the crowd and you know just and and you just you know, you you kind of, you know, the, the person I am, I, I picture that in my head and instantly I wipe it out of my head because, you know, if you focus on the the outcome, you've lost, you know, really? so you have to, you have to think about the process, not the outcome. Okay. That's, that's the biggest thing. And I think uh, mentally, I, best bit of advice I could give you for trying to achieve something. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Fo- do, do everything, focus on everything you can do right and let the outcome take care of itself. Because generally, if you get everything right that you can possibly do, the outcome takes care of itself. So if all of a sudden, fast forward, you know, two weeks, and you're in that position standing in front of a wall of kind of paparazzi cameras with all these flashes going off, and which really helps when you can't see that well. But, <laughs> um, you know, and you've got this thing around your neck. It really is disbelief and surreal. It's like, how, you know, for me, it really was, how's this just happened? In two and a half years, I've gone from being a, kind of a bum rock climber to standing on the top step of a step of a Paralympic podium. It's like, you know, the, the time went so quick. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's an, it's an amazing thing to have, but the the best part of having this medal is, is doing this is giving it to people. And, and certainly to, certainly to children, certainly to kids, because you know, their faces light up and, you know, and all of a sudden they start, telling you what they're going to win a medal in and stuff. And it's just so impressive. You know, the power this thing has with children to inspire is, you know, ridiculous. You know, it's really, really cool. The Olympics is one of the few times when the world feels like an actually good place, doesn't it? The whole yeah, world yeah, yeah. is rooting for people. Yeah, I, lo- yeah, I love absolutely. the Olympics. And, you know, and you, and you have, you know, you have winners and you have losers, but it's, it's almost like the world sympathizes you know, when you see people that, you know, burst into tears because that hasn't gone their way or, you know, whether they've got on the podium or they haven't. And, you know, it's just, I think you really get the sensation, you know, like athletes, you know, you're just human because quite often, you know, you, you know, I, I'm as guilty as anyone. It's like, you know, you, you picked up very young because you did something more than every, everyone else. They call that talent. And then all of a sudden you're, you're made in this factory, you know, this, this sausage factory of medals 
velodrome in Manchester and you know and you and you and you pop out at 21 or 26 or whatever and all of a sudden bang gold medal and you know and everyone thinks well you know it's like you're robotic um so to be on the inside of that bubble and and see it all unfold in front of your eyes is uh yeah it's a it's a special privilege and and it's amazing because you realize actually we're all just normal dudes you know that ride bikes or throw javelins or you know do whatever we do we just kind of Work really hard, I suppose. Yeah. Well, it's a hell of an adventure. I should be cheering you on. Certainly is. From in front of my telly, so. e- eating a donut and drinking a beer while <laughs> you're in Tokyo Good. doing the hard work. If you work. could message me and say that, that would make my day that. I'll send you a picture. Yeah, that would be ideal. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Steve. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers Thank for you. by. Pleasure. Cheers, Steve. That's cool. Why is it rattle? So... It- so these were the most inclusive medals that I've ever been. So uh, I've got a bronze one. It makes a different noise. Oh, for so a, the three medals made different for uh, for deaf people, for blind people. You know oh, that mistake was happening all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I first wanted to make an audio book back in the olden days, about ten years ago, I phoned up the uh, Deaf Institute and yeah. said to them, "Hi, I want to make an audio book." And they were like, "Dude." the blind people but even then when you're saying it i was having to do that yeah 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 calculation yeah, what, what, i hope you've enjoyed this episode of living adventurously there's show notes from every episode on my website alistairhumphreys.com slash podcast if you have enjoyed it please take a screenshot of your phone and pop it up on social media, or leave a review with your podcast provider. It makes a massive difference. Thank you very much. To make this podcast happen, I teamed up with Kamut, the outdoor planning and navigation app that helps you explore more of the great outdoors. One of the many ways Kamut helps you have better adventures is through their highlights feature. Kamut highlights are recommendations from local adventurers in the area you want to explore. They could be a great cafe, a particularly beautiful stretch of trail, a lookout point, or a well-stocked shop. These recommendations appear on the map as highlights, large red dots for popular highlights, those with lots of additional information and images, or small red dots for highlights that have fewer comments and images. Inside the hint, the size of the dot doesn't necessarily correspond to the quality of the highlight in real life. It only indicates how many people have visited the highlight before you. Perhaps it's a little less visited and therefore all the more special. Your very own outdoor experiences and some inspiring highlights are waiting for you. Go explore more with Kamut. Head to Kamut.com slash g and use the voucher code adventurous to claim your free region bundle